Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. He's, he's co-authored this book with, uh, with Britt Eaton, and I just I want to encourage you. There's going to be an opportunity at the end to pick it up. But as the founder of the Timothy Initiative, and, and if you come to the 9 o'clock, a lot of his guys come um, and just regularly uh, attend and serve. And we have seen just firsthand the ministry that he's had here in Tampa and, and the impact. And I'm just I'm proud to say he's... Uh, part of the house, a friend of the house, a friend of our leadership, and uh, I'm excited for the message that he's going to give today. So one more time, would you welcome Pastor George Wood. Can I, can I move this back a little bit? Yes? See, all the t- tall people, they forget us. Short people? It's like behind the desk, this I can't, I won't even be seen on camera. Anyways. Thanks, Scott. Um, yeah, man, it is good to be back here. You know, a half hour ago was tough. <laughs> I will say this. You guys are um, in for a treat because I practiced once. Man, I'm glad we got that one out of the way. I, it wasn't my best. Anyways, actually, what I really wanted to say is... Um, I've tricked them. Now I can say what I really want to say. Because if I would have said it the last time, they would have been having somebody replace me this time around. So now let me just tell you a few things I got issues with. That was, that was a joke, everybody. Whew, tough crowd here. Tough crowd. So, um, okay. All right. One extreme to the other. I love it. All right. So, yeah, man, I have... Um, a table over here where there is the book, The Uncovery, that um, came out back in July and has been a labor of love where, um, man, just pick the book up. You'll see it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of stories about how really doing ministry brings you to places where you need God the most. Uh, there's this, you know, fallacy for some reason. People think of me as the, as the addiction pastor. And, and for one, I like to think I'm so much more than that. But um, I believe that addiction is just the, it's, it's not the whole game. It's, it's just a symptom of something else. And there's mental health that we need to consider um, in a person's journey. And we need to, you know, really consider um, the role that trauma has played in a person's life. And so... Hopefully you can pick the book up. We don't want to have to carry them all home. It's, we brought them here. Somebody told me he said that joke. I promised I wouldn't say it. It's a stupid joke. If I ever say that joke again, somebody take me off stage. <laughs> but anyway, um, but also please, if you do pick up the book, you can see we have other things going on. We have um, our podcast that we do where we try to um, we've had a few of the people from The Resting Place there, Tracy's been on, Caleb's been on, like to get Scott on there, but we have a podcast where we talk about important topics around faith and recovery and life, um, and also, you know, we have um, the website, the tattooedpastor.com, which is all the different stuff that I am trying to bring light to, and 
couple of things about even the tag tattooed pastor. It's like, yeah, I do love tattoos, but it's actually more than just that. It's, it's the whole idea that I refuse to be put into a box because most people that you know, enter a church don't want to be put into a box. And we've tried for so long, and we've put people in boxes, and we've told them, this is what you need to do to belong, but we, we forgot that the love of God didn't say any of that. So there's so much more to that. But you can check out what we do at TattooedPastor.com or any of the social media stuff, and hopefully you will do that. And so today we are going to talk about three things, our authority, our identity, and living supernaturally. And Red Bull, if you're watching, I would love to be sponsored. So, so first off, let me just say this. The last crowd was all my people, okay? My TI guys, and I also live in community, so you know. I have lived in the inner city of Tampa for the last 12 years where my beautiful wife, what's here for my wife, Julie? Do you want to know how amazing my wife is? I will tell you. Last night, for, you know, whatever, the devil, whatever you want to say, trying to sleep, I haven't preached in years, and for whatever reason on God's earth, our Alexa, I was having like brown noise playing, and it was going super loud, super low, super for like an hour, and I was like, what is happening? So I turned that off, but then my dog starts freaking out. It's got some type of an earache. And my wife was so beautiful that she went and took the dog out of the room and slept on the couch with the dog so I could sleep. Yeah. Come on, man. Give it up. But um, so we live in community in the inner city. And having everybody here the last service reminded me how when you have a message of um, God is the one to be glorified, that we live for him, that we, aren't, we, we are special because of who we are to him, but none of us are special. When that's your life message, it's a tough crowd. Because, <laughs> you know, the, they're like, well, you said you're not special, so we're not even going to clap. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, I'm glad to kind of move beyond my own people because they're, they're a little hard of an audience. So... So as we look at identity and we look at, you know, authority and living supernaturally, um, let's look at Ephesians 1.18 real quick. Because I think God says something to us that I want to look at today. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do any of you know that we are all on a journey? So part of when I, I came to the, the point of wanting to write the book, The Uncovery, um, I kept telling my co-author and publisher and people like that, that what I really want to do is I want to change the world. I want to change the way the world looks at recovery around addiction, mental health, suicide, trauma, and the role that faith plays in how we, how we heal. And, the, and they kept saying the same thing. You can't say that. That's too big of a goal. 
it just it won't work. It's too big of an audience. So there's this whole process in which writing a book that's supposedly going to be successful, you have to figure out who your audience is. And, and I get all that. But I just kept saying, no, but I want to change the world. Yeah, but you can't, you can't say that. We got we to break it down. How about we just change this or that? And I'm like, yeah, but just so we're clear, <laughs> I want to change the world. So I want to make a difference in the world. And I feel like the Father has put something in my heart that, that can, can do something that can radically change people's lives. I don't really care about myself or I care about that, but I care about the message of how we've been doing things needs to change. That The truth is, is recovery is for everyone. And so for so long, we've told people, yeah, let's give it up. Got to, yeah. For too long, we've told people that um, somehow or another, they have to be anonymous and that recovery is for those that are strung out on dope or whatever. But the reality is, people, is that the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we enter into recovery. Everyone. Because we are now trying to recover the identity that the Father gave us before the foundations of the world. We are trying to move beyond the, the life of the old man that we became because of things that happened to us, things that, that we did or did not do by choice, and, and, and just this broken world that we live in. And we're trying to overcome all of that and live into this identity that God said we were holy, perfect, and blameless before the foundations of the world. And that is what we're trying to recover, every single Christian. And Paul says in Philippians that we will not get there until the day Christ returns. Therefore, we're all in recovery. Because shame is a powerful motivator in keeping people locked into their pain. It is a powerful, powerful motivator. And so when you tell people that they are a fit for your Sunday Sunday night meeting that's in the basement of the church to do step work, and that's the only place they can be. That builds shame because a lot of us don't want to be in the basement on a Sunday night. A lot of us don't even want to be in a 12-step meeting. I have 16 years clean this week. <laughs> Ironically, it was one year ago that I stood on this stage and this wonderful family raised $10,785 for the Timothy Initiative. So if you'd like to do that again today, you can make your checks too. No, but, the, uh, you know, and it was, uh, it was monumental because then I was like, oh, wow, I'm 15 years this week, and now it's okay, 16 years and the numbers go up or whatever, and that's great, but it's really about the life transformation. And I think all the people that have known me will tell you I am a different person than I was that they met. I'm a completely changed person, and I continue to change. That's this journey that we're all on, but we have to see that. And it's so, so easy if we don't think we're the ones that belong in a meeting in the church basement that we can just look at each other and we can just want to be like each other. So without even knowing it, we start to look a lot to our left and our right without looking up anymore. I want to look like Scott. I want to act like Kim or I want to, 
want to be like Caleb. They're, and we start to do this. And so then we all assimilate into this really unhealthy group of people that thinks they're living for the Lord, that feels like they're, they're doing the Christian journey, but what they've really done is just figured out how to look like each other. And that's great until a pandemic hits. And then everything goes out the, out the window. You know, we, we really worry about things like our opinion of what is sin and what is not sin instead of how do we live out the love of Christ with those that are in sin. And that's a mighty big difference, man. Why do we think, you know, people don't want to return to the church? It's because we've made our opinions very clear on a lot of things. Regardless of where you sit, you may have an opinion, you know, Republican, Democrat, LGBTQ or not LGBTQ. Should you be in poverty? Should you be in wealthy? Is it the prosperity gospel? Is it not the prosperity gospel? Our opinions on these things are clear, but how we're going to live out the love of Christ with those opinions is not. And that's a really big deal. And so some of us have chosen to try to figure out what it looks like to, to live out the love of Christ in a, in a very unconventional way by living in community and trying to be there for each other in difficult times. And one thing I found is when we say trauma, uh, I say on the, the front of the book, it's um, a community approach to healing trauma. But what I've really learned is it's, it's not the trauma so much that we bring to the community. Often it is the trauma that we as a community go through together. And if we don't fall apart, if we stick around, if we stand in these traumatic places with one another, then healing can begin. Right? I, I love this part. This, you gotta take the cue from the clapping person over here. <laughs> no, I'm all about the clapping. Come on. I'm very, very insecure. Okay, all right. I'm very insecure, so I need, I need, the, I need the confirmation that I'm speaking. So, I got you. <laughs> thanks, thanks. So, so, you know, for me, um, realizing this has still been part of my journey, that um, as a leader, as a pastor for 15 years, I've, I've found myself falling into the perfection trap early on in the Timothy Initiative. Um, okay, we, every guy has to stay sober. Every guy has to make it. And we they have to look good and sound good because I was still broken. I'm still broken, but I was really broken then. And I'll never forget, um, actually, Will Barrett happens to be here, and Will is actually the guy who started the organization with me all those years ago. And I'll never forget the first time that we had a guy die. And I was thinking about this during worship. It wasn't, I did not talk about this in the first session. I was thinking about it in worship, but I remember him and I having to walk to the, into the house of the family to say we were so sorry. And I just remember, Will's a lot younger than me, so he was like, so what are we gonna do? Even though I was older, I had no idea. I'm like, this is just wholly awkward. So, 
walking into that house, and I remember feeling like the family's just going to reject us. They're just going to say, you know, get out of our house, whatever. But being willing, all right, we're going to go and say we did what we could and we're sorry, you know. Of course, the family didn't do that, and they were very grateful for the transformation that had happened in, in their son and, and just the impact that the organization had had on his life. And I remember thinking, you know, so what did we really do in this if he didn't make it, right? So, and actually having a donor, um, one of our main donors say to me, we've just invested all this time and money and then they don't make it. Like, what are we even doing? And I remember in this moment just being like total clarity that it's about the love of the Father. And what we've done is we've revealed the kingdom of heaven to a person that otherwise would not have known the kingdom of heaven. And that day that he encounters, that he encounters the Father, he will know the Father because of this time. And he will say yes to life ever, ever after. That's what we're doing because maybe people only make it a, a small window. And maybe their perfect kingdom walk is only a few months. But at least they experience something that will lead them to a life, an eternity with the Father. That's what we're doing. Eight years later, having to stand with that donor as his son had died by suicide. and being destroyed personally by what had just happened. And the message still being because they've experienced the kingdom and they know the Father. And that's really this, this walk of this journey that we are on. But we have to be able to see that. We have to be able to see what it means to walk alongside broken people while being broken. So I talk about authority. It's funny, I, I made a post yesterday. I'm like, I'm going to tell you about authority, identity, and walking and living supernaturally. Here it, here it goes, people. So everybody buckle up. It's about how you live your life every day. It's about what you do day in and day out. We already know that we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and we walk with the Father, then that means every moment from then on is supernatural because in those moments, we are no longer alone and that whatever we have to go through, we can do that with the Father. That's supernatural. Don't get me wrong, I love the miracle healings, and I love the, the whole idea that, you know, God wants us to prosper. I am all about all that. I know personally, my, my life is an amazing life. I don't make a lot of money, and my roof leaks, and my floor is four different types of flooring, and my car doesn't have AC. Um, my house is really kind of an ugly house from the outside. I mean, but my, my life is amazing. I'm, I'm married to a powerful woman. Yes. And we've, had, we've sat there with mothers that has, whose daughters had just died that are literally wailing and not knowing what to say or do. Because you don't have an answer for that. But 
here's the thing, you're not supposed to. That's an American thing, by the way, that we're supposed to know everything. Other countries don't think that. They're just like, oh, we're just going to pray and go to God. America, though, you have an answer. You speak with that answer. You speak with clarity. Even if you don't know the answer, give an answer. I don't know where that comes from, but it, it, it's just present. This past week, I, I actually, you know, in the, one of the powerful stories coming out of the Uncovery was um, a friend of mine reached out to me and, and asked if I would perform a funeral for her husband had just passed. And I, of course, I was, yes, we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And so I was like, of course. But then she went on to say, I've, I've been reading your book and I've seen the trauma you've been through and I want you to do this because of that. And I was like, okay. So the day of the memorial, I always like to, like days of memorials, I'll pray and ask God for words of wisdom or whatever to try to bring healing and comfort to the family and, and, and you know, some type of healing and peace and all that type of stuff. Once again, I think the enemy or something had other plans because my alarm doesn't go off. So I immediately wake up late. I run to my prayer room to, to pray. Shouldn't run to your prayer room, people. Not because you're out of time. <laughs> run if you want to run, but don't run because you're out of time. Anyways, so I'm in my prayer room and I'm, you know, fervently praying. <laughs> and then I'm like, I should look back at my text message to see what time I'm supposed to be there. And I, and I have this horrible habit. I have ADHD, and so I sometimes just read what's on the phone, forget to open the message to realize it's longer. So I, open, I look at the message, and it's like 12. I'm like, perfect. I should probably open that. Open it and scroll, and it's like 1030. I'm like, oh, 1030. Damn, at least it's only in Carrollwood. I should probably check that too. Oh, it's Newport Ritchie. Okay. All right. So let's Google that. Let's see how much time I got. I got three minutes to get ready and be out the door. Okay. So here we go. So I'm riding in my car. Did I mention it doesn't have AC? Very fast to get to um, the location. And it's just me in my hot car. I mentioned it's hot because it's freaking hot, man. So I'm like, okay, God, you got my attention. But I, I felt in this moment, like, I've just felt like God say, you were about to over-prepare. And you were going to make it about you. And it would have came off wrong. And I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm supposed to do. And so I was like, okay, I'll trust in you. And so you know what I did next? As soon as I got there, opened my Bible to try to come up with something, because that's what I do. My pride, I gotta look smart, I gotta look like I know what I'm doing. But I could see my friend Carol, um, who uh, was outside my window, and I was like, I better go see her and see what's going on. And so she pulled me aside and, and said, you know, hey, we're having some, some issues with my son, now, Carol and I know each other because eight years ago, she had reached out to me, and her son has schizophrenia, and her and I had 
kind of worked together through some situations the family was going through. And then later on, her and I were on several committees to try to bring awareness to mental health issues and suicide prevention and addiction um, with multiple different faith leaders and members of the science community where we would try to bring awareness to things by collectively coming up with answers. So, um, so we, I you know, know this history, but the moment I got out of my car, I could feel the tension in the air and feel like, okay, there's... Definitely, like, I would not have been able to prepare for this. Anything I would have had would have went right out the window. But would I have had the common sense to not force it? Or would I have tried to force it because I want to look like I know what I'm doing? So God took all of that away, and I was able to just speak into the situation with the authority out of my identity and supernaturally change the feeling that was happening at that service in that moment. And so, and I'm blessed to say Kara was here with me today, and I'm just really happy to have her here. So there is um, just this recognition that what God did was real because God was given the throne that he deserved in that moment, right? And often what we try to do is make things about our knowledge in the moment instead of our experience in who we are. True authority, where does true authority even come from? Well, we like to think it comes from our knowledge because then it's something our works can get us to. But yet, at the same time, we all know, at least in the recovery world and counseling world, people that know something out of a book are never as good as a, a person who knows it out of their life. I mean, if you've ever been to counseling and you know you're going there for something incredibly heavy, um, sitting in front of a person who's like, well, I've never been through anything like that, but I've read on it, is totally not very assuring at all. So anyways, so it, it comes from, you know, just being through things and going through. My sister, before she died, um, had mental illness. And watching her go through her mental illness and having to turn our backs on her because she could become so violent and angry and um, abusive um, gave me the experience as I tried to help Carol years later, and then walk in the authority that was necessary at that funeral. Sometimes we forget, though, that our whole life is what we're really trying to look into and what we're trying to walk out. You know who else did that? The Israelites. Let's just look at that passage from the Israelites, the um, Exodus 16.3. You can just put it up behind me. So if we think about this journey that the, the Israelites were on, we know that they had been rescued out of slavery. They went through uh, watching all of the plagues hit um, Pharaoh and his people, but yet protect them. We watched um, them walk through the Red Sea, okay? Um, we looked at the last service, we looked at um, the verse before where it talks about how 
it was only um, 15 days before they first started complaining about fresh water. No, it was only three days. I'm sorry. It was three days. They would have died in 15 days. So that would be wrong. <laughs> Strike that from the record. So three days before they're complaining, but they had just walked through the Red Sea and they immediately, three days later, feel like they can't have fresh water. And then here we are just not too long after that. I think it's a month or something. They're talking about food and how they, they can't um, survive without it. It's, uh, yeah, pots of meat. Yep. So we look at the, the Israelites, and so often, I mean, that's really what we base a lot of our teachings off of, right? The Israelites, the story, we mock them. We think about all the things that they did wrong. But did you, did you guys ever, like, stop and think about, in your mocking, if they actually knew they were on a journey we know because we stand outside of that time and we can look, but did they know they were on an actual journey that thousands of years later people would mock them for doing incorrectly, right? So just show of hands, who thinks they knew they were on a journey? Jimmy does in the back. He was at the first service. That's good. <laughs> Gotta love when your guys pay attention. So, no, they may not, they didn't know it was this journey, but they did know they were on a journey because they were willing to be chased by Pharaoh. They did know they were going somewhere. They had been promised the land of milk and honey, so they knew they were on a journey. But it's like a half-truth that they knew, but they didn't know. So they knew they were going somewhere. They just didn't know how to really appreciate where they were going. And then we find out, we know now, that none of the original group makes it, right? Moses doesn't even make it. But what's interesting is even of the people that do make it, inside of the promised land, they still had to fight battles. You ever think about that? How about, you know, it's like, guess what, everybody, we're here but you've got to go in and walk around this building seven times with trumpets and then the walls will fall down. Wouldn't you sort of be like, that's anticlimactic, like we're here, but I'm here, but it's a lot like recovery, by the way. Guess what? You're sober. Yeah, this is what it feels like? Oh, okay. So anticlimactic. So what about you? You know you're on a journey, right? I assume. Who here has been following the Lord more than five years? Okay. So, out of all those people that have been following the Lord more than five years, have you discipled people? Who's discipled people? Put your hand up. Great. And if you didn't, then you're not actually following the Lord, right? Say to say this, but this is just sort of like how it goes. So, five years or more, we're following the Lord. We know we're on a journey, right? But do we realize that the whole life matters? Everything we do matters. What we're going through matters. Because part of why the Israelites didn't understand things the way they needed to is because they didn't know where they were at, they didn't know where they were actually going, and they didn't know what it would take to get there. But you see, we have them as a model. So now we actually do know we have to understand these things. 
But part of the reason we don't is because we think in the terms of static versus fluid or um, singular versus ongoing. In other words, events happen in our life and we tend to hyper-focus on what's happened in that moment as being good or bad, right? And so understanding you're on a journey, but then you end up with a horrible disease, you're hyper-focused on the disease and not your journey. Something happens, you get in a car accident, and so you hyper-focus on the bad thing that's happened, but not the journey. A family member passes away, and it's, why did you take him, God? Instead of, it's, we're on a journey. So, following the Lord for five years or more, you know we still slip into this mindset. Right? We do. We have to be able to see things the way that the, the ancient Chinese you know, story goes where there's a wise man in a village and people take all their problems to him and he always answers the same way, which is good or bad, too soon to tell. So the prince and prince, uh, the king and queen have a son who's supposed to be the, the one who takes over the throne and he falls off his horse one day and breaks his leg. And in those days, if you, if you were maimed in any way, you couldn't be king. You had to be completely healthy. You had to be the person who could stand up for his kingdom. And so they go to the wise man, and they're like, he's broken his leg, and he's never going to be that guy. Is this bad? And he says, it's good or bad, it's too soon to tell. And they didn't really like hearing that. But then like a week later, they're invaded by this other larger nation that kills all of the top-ranking people. He wasn't able to fight because of his broken leg. He was the last remaining one, goes on to be king good or bad, too soon to tell. So things happen in our life that we're not really willing to let play out to see what the result is. So when we are, then we can recognize that everything that happens, everything can be used to better someone else, to help them on their journey, to reveal to them that the kingdom of God still exists no matter that this bad thing happened. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change who you are in God's eyes. And the reality is, it may make you stronger in the end. So when I was mentioning being at the funeral the other day, the authority I had came from every bad thing I've ever been involved in. I was able to step into a situation because my life is constantly surrounded by trauma. It's constantly surrounded by chaos. I said the last, my, the last service, I said, my love language is chaos. Got more laughs the last time. <laughs> but it is. And so it's with this chaos that we're able to see things that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to see. So let's, let's look at, um, pull up the Ephesians 2.10 for me. Thanks. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
What if we were able to look at our lives and realize that it's out of the bad things that we're able to do good works? Then everything you've tried to hide from because of the shame that you feel it brings, you could now bring into the light and say, I did file for bankruptcy one time. I did go through marital you know, infidelity. I did go through whatever, fill in the blank. Even if you didn't walk through it perfectly, it doesn't, that's another misnomer, that you had to do it perfectly. What if you didn't do it perfectly? What if that's what somebody needs to hear? Like, you screwed it up, you're still alive. And still fighting a new battle each day. Great. We don't have to be perfect to be in people's pain. And what it really comes down to is that's what we all need. We all need someone to be present in our pain with us. We, <laughs> we, because so often we want to come with answers to a person's pain that we can't possibly have the answer to. But we'll say it anyways. But the reality is you don't have an answer. But you could just sit there and say, listen, I'm here with you. It's like the Garden of Gethsemane, right? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus asks a few of his favorite guys to come and pray with him. He says, come and pray with me. Just a little while. And they fall asleep. And he's like, you couldn't even pray for one hour. Wake up. Can you pray with me? Oh, you know, they're all like, sorry, yeah, we got, we got this now. And they fall back asleep. And he gives up and goes and prays by himself. Have you ever really thought about what's happening there? Because did Jesus, like, need them to pray in order to change what was about to happen? I mean, did somehow, were these guys that were praying, were they going to be the ones that could somehow take this cup from him? No. I mean, it was a historical prophecy. It had to play out. So why did he have them with him? Even Jesus did not want to be alone in his pain. Even Jesus wanted someone to look him in the eyes and say, I see you, and I am with you. You are not alone. I can't do anything for you, but I will sit here with you until it's past. Even Jesus. And so my question to, you, to each one of all of us, including myself, who in our life right now is a person that needs us to be present in their pain with them? Maybe we're the person who needs somebody to be present with us. Maybe we're the one in pain. And who are those people that we're supposed to be looking eye to eye with and saying, I see you, you see me? We're in this together. Because that is community. That is family. And too often in the actual church, we don't have that. We have opinions. We have our, our position on things. We have, you know, uh, trite sayings. But we don't often have the person that we can look eye to eye with and say, I don't need you to change this. I need you to help me not be alone. And that is all. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. 
We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.